Welcome. This is the Woodbury Church of Christ Sermon Podcast. We're glad that you tuned in, and if you'd like to know more about our church, you can find out all the information at woodburychurch.org. Or we'll see you some Sunday, Sundays at 10 a.m. Looking forward to it. Good morning. My name is Steve Countryman. I'm one of the ministers here. Uh, I am not the regular preacher. So if you are visiting, and we're glad for all those who are visiting and watching online and all of you who are here, if this is your first time here, you're going to have to come back next week. Actually, uh, Presley is preaching next week. Everybody loves Presley. (laughs) But our regular preacher, Patrick, who is up here, will be preaching the next week. So you need to come back the next two weeks. I was going to ask if anyone knows what this is a picture of. Any guesses? There you go. Good job. All right. So it is. It's oil and water. Today we're going to talk about some things that don't mix. Oil and water is one of these. What we're going to talk about is law and grace. We try to mix these things still and they just don't mix. And we're going to be talking about the gospel of grace this morning. Uh, You may have a proper understanding of grace. Uh, You may not understand grace. You may have been a Christian for 50 years and you may still not have a proper understanding of grace. I believe uh, that this subject, it's just paramount to everything we do as far as Christians. Uh, And I believe that God's message has been the same from beginning to end. Uh, And I think sometimes we screw it up, we mess it up. And I hope that after today, we'll, we'll understand it a little more clearly. Uh, we'll be reading a lot of scripture this morning, so have your Bibles ready. The uh, scripture will also be on the screen. Illustrations this morning will come primarily from scripture uh, and hopefully from the conviction of the Holy Spirit that speaks to each of our hearts to let us know of situations in our own lives that we either need to accept God's grace more fully or we need to extend that grace to others more completely. Let's pray. Father, thank you um, for your good news of grace, forgiveness through Jesus Christ. Father, I feel inadequate to um, preach this news. Uh, I pray that your spirit will speak through your word, the scriptures that we read this morning, and I pray that your spirit will reveal things in our hearts uh, that help us fully understand uh, your gospel of love and grace and forgiveness. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What made the new covenant new? Um, You know, we have the Old Testament, we have the New Testament. What made that new covenant new? Uh, It's not a new set of rules. I think we've misunderstood this for years. I know I did. Uh, Ray Vanderlaan is a, a good speaker. I've heard him a few times. He he speaks on Right Now Media. You might find his videos there. He's been on Focus on the Family. Uh, I've heard him a few times, three or four times at churches in Texas where he did a conference and I got to attend. His real job is a high school Bible and biblical cultures teacher in Holland, Michigan. So his real job is daily job. That's what he does. He teaches these high school students. He let us know that one of the first things he does with his high school students when they're taking his Bible class is that he says, I want you to take, find the page of your New Testament that says New Testament. I want you to sign your name on that. I want you to rip it out of your Bible and I want you to hand it in to me. It's a significant part of the student's grade. He does that because we have said there's an Old and New Testament. 
And yes, Scripture teaches us there's a new covenant. But God's message did not really change. And I think once we see that in a complete way, it's easier to understand this gospel of grace. Let me show you. Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 33 says this, The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand, brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant, though I love them as a husband loves his wife, says the Lord. But this is a new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them, and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. Uh, and also in Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 to 27, and I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. And then Paul, in our New Testament, our New Covenant, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3, says this. He's, he's speaking to the Corinthian people, and he says, Clearly you are a letter from Christ, showing the result of our ministry among you. This letter is written not with pen and ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, and it is carved not on tablets of stone, but on human hearts. I think there are some ways uh, the grace of God transforms us, but I think there are some ways that sometimes we misunderstand God's grace. The first way is that we don't value it. Uh, Matthew chapter 18 has the parable of the unmerciful servant. You've, uh, you've, you've seen that. That's where, you know, this man who with an astronomical debt goes into the king. The king forgives him of it. He leaves and then he finds his friend who owes, owes him just a small amount of money and he has him thrown in prison. He did not value the grace and forgiveness given to him and so it did not change his life. Sometimes it's that way for us. The second way is that sometimes we think we are deserving of it. Luke chapter 18, verse 18 says, once a religious leader asked Jesus the question, good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? He's asking the wrong question. It's not about what we should do to earn or be deserving of eternal life. That's, that's not the question. And Jesus lets him know that. He, I mean, Jesus' response is, hey, have you obeyed the commandments? And he said, yeah, sure I have, all of them. And then Jesus says, adds one more thing about his heart. And then he goes away sad. The, the last way that maybe we misunderstand God's grace is that maybe we take advantage of it. Romans chapter 6, verse 14 and 15. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? And Paul's answer is, of course not. Paul continues uh, in Romans chapter 6. He gives two illustrations of this transition from law to living under grace. The first one uh, in verse 16 through 23 is about a slave not having to follow his former master because he has a new master. To alter the illustration slightly, imagine uh, a master purchasing a slave. Once he does that, that slave is no longer under the authority of his old master. 
Okay, and that's, we used to be under the authority of the law, but we no longer are because now we live under this new master under grace. Paul's second illustration that he uses at the beginning of chapter 7 is an illustration from marriage. And he says a woman's first husband dies. She's no longer bound to him. She is free to remarry. So Paul lays out that, hey, we were bound to the law. And now we are not. We are free. We, we are not bound to that law anymore. The teaching of Paul is consistent through the New Testament as it is in Romans chapter 6 um, when he talks about the grace versus the law. He, he talks about this in Romans. He talks about this in 2 Corinthians. He talks about this in Galatians especially. He talks about Ephesians and Philippians. and I mean anywhere in the New Testament you read you get this idea where Paul is preaching against our dependence on following the rules for our righteousness and preaches for our dependence on the grace of Jesus Christ. This is Paul's greatest emphasis. Paul's teaching was the same as Jesus' teaching about the law. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus says, Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. And then Paul in Romans chapter 10 says, Dear brothers and sisters, the longing of my heart and my prayer to God is for the people of Israel to be saved. I know what enthusiasm they have for God, but it is misdirected zeal, for they don't understand God's way of making people right with himself. And the rest of verse 3, refusing to accept God's way, they cling to their own way of getting it right with God by trying to keep the law. For Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. And as a result, all who believe in him are made right with God. With God. Paul's teaching was the same as Jesus' teaching. In the book of Galatians, this is Paul's emphasis. And the first four chapters, he's talking about that. Chapter 5 and 6, he's talking all about the Holy Spirit, which is the same message that we were under the old law. Now we're under Christ's grace and the Holy Spirit. Let's look at Galatians chapter 3, starting in verse 19. This may be Paul's most important passage. Uh, I cut a lot out because so much of the New Testament uh, speaks to this. But Galatians chapter 3, starting in verse 19. Why then was the law given? If, if we're no longer, if that's not what we're under anymore. It was given alongside the promise, the promise to Abraham, to show people their sins. But the law was designed to last only until the coming of the child who was promised. God gave his law through angels to Moses, who was the mediator between God and the people. Skip down to verse 21. Is there a conflict then between God's law and God's promises? Absolutely not. If the law could give us new life... We could be made right with God by obeying it. But the scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin. So we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. Before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under guard by the law. Paul starts this uh, illustration. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. Let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. Um, Paul is pretty 
clear here on what the purpose of the law is in verse 19. He asks what that purpose is. And in verses 22 through 25, he spells it out. The law had a purpose to protect. So what was the purpose of the law? It was twofold, to protect, but it was only for a limited time, like a guardian. So imagine, uh, imagine a minor, a child, not yet 18 years old, and they have this uh, inheritance or something coming. Uh, maybe the parents have uh, passed on or whatever, and, and the child is going to get this inheritance when they turn 18. Paul says the analogy is the law is that guardian who is there to protect the child, who is there to supervise the child. But when the child turns 18, now he is free to do that. Um, you see a picture of this typewriter. Um, some of you may not even know that that's a typewriter. I don't know. Uh, or, or what a typewriter is for that matter. Now, I, I, I just want you to know that I never used a typewriter like this. All right? I never did. But um, Scott McKnight, in his commentary on Galatians, uses this illustration of a typewriter and a computer. Uh, and, it, and, he, and he says that the technology of the typewriter was developed into a faster, better method of word processing with the computer. Now, I, I know that it was, fast, it was developed into a faster, better method of, of word processing because I learned on a typewriter. This is the typewriter I learned on. I, I don't know if that looks familiar to any of you. I'm sure it doesn't to most of you. When I was a freshman in high school, IBM typewriter, you know that last one, it had the bar that the whole carriage moved back and forth, you know, and, it, and you guys don't know this, probably most of you. <laughs> the electric typewriter didn't have that. This is the one I learned on, uh, and it was so much easier and so much faster. Uh, it had that little ball in the middle that just spun around real quick. Type is, anyway, all right. The analogy is this. The law is the typewriter. Grace from Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit is the computer. And Paul is telling the Galatians and Galatian Christians, believers, he said, you guys are using a typewriter when you have the computer right there on your desk that would be so much better. Following Jesus is full of joy but some believers are still banging away on their typewriter and not living with much joy. Let's look at the life of Paul uh, as an example. We've talked about some of his teachings. We'll continue to do that. But with the life of Paul, the illustration is that grace transforms us. And we can see that, how Paul was transformed. I got four passages of scripture I want you to look at. Uh, and when they were written. So in Galatians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul says... Um, the letter is from, it's, it's from Paul Apostle. I was not appointed by any group of people or any human authority, but by Jesus Christ himself and by God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. And Galatians was written about 48 AD. The next verse, 1 Corinthians 15, 9 says, For I am the least of all the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. And that was written in 56 AD. Ephesians 3.8 says, Though I am the least deserving of all God's people, He graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. And that was written about 60 AD. And then the last one, 1 Timothy 1.15, Paul says, 
This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. And that was written in 65 AD. So over the course of 17 years of Paul's life as a Christian, living under the grace of God, it transformed him. He went from uh, saying, I am an apostle appointed by Jesus himself, to I am the least of all the apostles, to I am the least of all God's people, to I am the worst of sinners. There is something about living under the grace of God that softens our pride and increases our humility greatly. And that's what it did for Paul. And if we're living under the law and we're trying to follow all the rules correctly and we think by that we're deserving, it doesn't do that. It increases our pride rather than softens it. Is the gospel of grace transforming you? How long has it been since you've been baptized? Has it been 17 years like Paul? Has it been just a few years or has it been 50 years? And regardless of that question, how long, it's the, the real question, is the gospel of grace transforming us and softening our hearts for other people like it did for the apostle Paul? Luke chapter seven, there's a good illustration of a proper understanding of grace from the life of Jesus. Uh, a few verses, I wanna read it. I'm gonna take time to read it. Uh, so here we go. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet. She wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one, 50 pieces to the other, but neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? And Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at this passage on Wednesday evening uh, in depth. Uh, so I'm just going to ask ourselves some questions about it. 
Now, have we fully understood God's grace? You know, in thinking about the woman and her understanding, in thinking about Simon the Pharisee and his understanding, where are we? Have we fully understood God's grace? What happens when the grace of God is uncomfortable as it was for Simon? What if it's embarrassing as it was for those there with the woman? Where do our thoughts go? How do we respond? What do we say? When someone is difficult, disappointing, or disrespectful, our reaction reveals our heart. It's not about them and what they're doing. Our reaction reveals our heart. Is, is your, it's similar today. I mean, in Bible times, the Jews looked at Gentiles as sinners. And the conservative Jews, the Pharisees, looked at other Jews as sinners. It's similar today when believers look at non-believers as sinners or when conservative Christians look at other Christians as doing the wrong thing, as sinning. And that is totally opposite from the gospel of grace. That's still living under the requirements of the law. Is your understanding of the gospel of grace more like the sinful woman who loved much or the Pharisee? Simon the Pharisee didn't understand grace, saw her as someone who didn't measure up, and that affected his thoughts toward Jesus. The woman, on the other hand, understood grace. She was immensely grateful for the forgiveness and love that she had received. And so she was there celebrating that. There's an element of grace for us as individuals. That personal relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There is another element of grace for us as a group of Christians, for us as a church body. How we give that to others. We see this in the woman and in Simon the Pharisee. Without an individual recognition of sin, sin that separates from God, sin that condemns us, it's impossible for our hearts to be transformed. But with that recognition, we are forgiven, washed, and no longer guilty. Some of you need to hear that message. You are no longer guilty. On the other hand, when we're talking about our relationship with others, the guidance for the church, according to Jesus, should be the law of love and not the rules of religion. And those are different, and we need to learn that. Can I give you a quick example from the Old Testament? Okay, good, I'm glad. Uh, Second Chronicles chapter 30, verses 17 through 18. Uh, here, King Hezekiah has invited all the people from all the tribes to Jerusalem, to the temple in Jerusalem, to celebrate the Passover. Since many of the people had not purified themselves, the Levites had to slaughter their Passover lamb for them to set them apart for the Lord. Most of those who came from Ephraim, Manasseh, Issachar, and Zebulun, these other tribes, had not purified themselves. But King Hezekiah prayed for them, and they were allowed to eat the Passover meal anyway, even though this was contrary to the requirements of the law. And the rest of verse 18. For Hezekiah said, 
May the Lord who is good pardon those who decide to follow the Lord, the God of their ancestors, even though they are not properly cleansed for the ceremony. And the Lord listened to Hezekiah's prayer and healed the people. We've got to remember it's not about us. And it's not about us judging where the proper requirements of the law are and who is fulfilling those and who's not. Hezekiah said it's about worshiping God and honoring him and their hearts toward him. And you know what? Let's pray for them and let's accept and then let's teach and let's ask that God accept them. Scott McKnight wrote a book called A Church Called Tove. Tove is a Hebrew word for goodness. And this is his definition for a grace-filled culture. Grace-filled goodness begins in forgiveness, forms into freedom, and resists fear, all because it knows God's design for the church is love. I want to read it again slowly. It may take a little bit to process this. Grace-filled goodness begins in forgiveness, but that's formed into freedom, and then that freedom resists fear, all because as a church body, God's call for us is to give that grace and love to others. There are major differences between being under the law and being under grace. Some churches focus on the rules. It's a fear-based culture. Uh, it's, it's through legalism, authoritarianism, status, and approval-based relationships. That's not freedom and that's not love. But a church that is focused on grace, it's the opposite. There's love, forgiveness, grace, and freedom. McKnight in his book says there's room. There's room to learn and make mistakes. There's room for growth. There's room for forgiveness. Woodbury wants to be that kind of church. We want you to know that. And if anybody's watching, we want you to know that. We want to be a, a church that realizes how we have been forgiven and received God's grace through Jesus. And we want to share that with others. The leaders are committed to this way. But you know what else? not possible for us to do it on our own. We're, we're not perfect. We're people. We're sinners. But if we can allow God's spirit in living under this law of grace to transform our hearts, then we can be that kind of church. It only happens through the power of the Holy Spirit transforming our hearts. May we allow God to do it. The gospel of grace has changed me. Uh, on a personal level, I don't have to feel guilty. My shortcomings, my mistakes, my sin, God has forgiven that. On a relational level, I used to think that, hey, these are the people that aren't doing it right, and you know, we gotta make sure we're doing it right. And I looked at those things rather than their hearts. Are their hearts drawn toward God? And I can give you examples about that, but we don't have time, and it really didn't matter. It, it, what really matters is this principle, and is that in your hearts? Things have become clear to me as I seek to fully understand the heart of God and the grace He has given me. The passage that 
uh, Patrick read for us, Romans chapter 5, 20 and 21. God's law was given so that all the people could see how sinful they were. Check. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all the people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I am so glad that now God's wonderful grace rules. And this has been his message from the beginning. We just had that period of the guardian, but now Jesus Christ has come and changed things. Um, I've got some verses on 2 Corinthians 3. Let me just tell you the story. This 2 Corinthians 3 is where Paul is talking about Moses going up on the mountain, receiving the law. His face shone so brightly with the Ten Commandments that people were afraid to look at his face, so he had to wear this veil over his face. And then what happens is that the people got scared of that. And then Paul makes this analogy, and he twists it just a little bit, and he said, you know, when people read the law of Moses today, that same veil covers their face. In other words, they still don't understand the purpose of the law. They still don't understand that now that Jesus Christ has come, we don't have to keep looking through that veil. We've seen in scripture this morning that when the new covenant, which the only reason it's new is because of Jesus, it's because of grace. It's not a new set of rules. It's only new because we're under grace now rather than under the law. We've seen Paul's consistent teaching. We've seen that teaching about Jesus and we've seen Paul's life as an example. For Paul, there was, no, there was not a substantial difference in the content of the old covenant and the new covenant. But the attitude which we have toward others and the power by which we live it out is extremely different. That's the new heart. That's the new spirit in us. That's the, not the stony heart on, ten, on the stone of grace. So, all right. So, as we wrap it up, how do we live out a gospel of grace? Thank you. Number one, consider our own transformation. Do I understand that I am a sinner and I'm saved by grace? That personal relationship, that can keep us from feeling guilty and we enjoy the freedom. Number two, secondly, we can pray for revival. And, and the key there is not in numbers, but it's in that change of heart, that transformation where we recognize the power of the spirit as opposed to the power of religion. Thirdly, we teach the truth, all right? This, this idea of we're not under law, we're under grace, doesn't mean that there's not truth, okay? I hope you hear that today as well. We can listen to ourselves, or we can listen to God's will as he reveals it. He reveals it to us in scripture. He reveals it to us through the Holy Spirit. And lastly, and maybe most importantly, in following Jesus, we must follow his nature of love and of grace. That's what has to overflow out of our hearts toward others. I want to invite the praise team back up. Uh, I want to read one last passage of scripture. It can apply to all of us if we choose to apply it. We don't have to be super Christians to understand the grace of God. God's grace is sufficient for each one of us, no matter what is going on in our lives or what has gone on in the past. Romans 
chapter 5 says this, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege, undeserved privilege where we now stand, and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. Have you run into trials? Your confident hope of salvation can be strengthened. And verse 5, and this hope will not lead to disappointment. 